If you would, please, turn into your Bible. We really like the Bible around here, don't we? Yeah, we do. Turn to Luke 18. And uh, if, you, if you didn't bring your Bible, uh, I would love for you guys to bring your Bible. I think that's so cool. Raise your hand if you brought your own Bible. You can't use the ones on the table. Yes. If you don't have a Bible or lost your Bible or it's somewhere, you can have the Bible that's on the table. You can just take it home. It's stealing, but not really. I want you to steal it. Okay, Luke 18. Uh, I'm going to read the verse 1 through 8. Then we're going to pray to get started here. <clears throat> it's the parable of the persistent widow. And uh, this morning we're talking about one of my favorite church history guys. I guess history guys, American history guys. Abraham Lincoln, my friends. Yes. And so I think he, his life seems to be very persistent. It seems to, like he had this, he, I mean, he was born in a log cabin. He goes through life, ends up becoming the president of the United States of America. Very persistent, somewhat like this widow in the story. So listen carefully. Luke 18, 1 through 8. Then Jesus told the disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. Verse 4. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. Then the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And I and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, he will find faith on the earth. Let's pray. God, we just welcome you here. Jesus, in this place in Tag Chapel as the Mill Sunday School, we thank you for being here, God. We ask you to open our hearts, open our minds, so that we can love you with our minds and know you more deeply through church history, through, through your history and the church that's, that's gone before us. And we just thank you for that story, God. Would you open our minds and hearts today? And everybody said, Amen. All right, I think this story is kind of sweet. And the first time I ever read this story, uh, and maybe you're reading it or hearing it for the first time in a while, you think, man, is God mean like that? Does God, do we come to God with our prayers and God is bothered by our prayers? No, that's silly. That's a silly interpretation of this parable. A better interpretation of the parable, like it says, is that we should be like the widow. How much more is God willing to answer our prayers than this unjust judge? God is willing to answer our prayers. And so um, I think it's a cool passage that represents someone who's persistent throughout their entire life, like our friend Abraham Lincoln. Are you ready for some history of Abraham Lincoln? Come on. He's so cool. 1809, he's born to Thomas and Nancy Lincoln. Who were they? Were they rich, wealthy people living it up with their Bentleys? No. They were poor, uneducated farmers. He was born where? You know. Illinois. Where, where exactly? No, he was born. It was born no, in the what building? It was a log cabin. <laughs> I'm sorry. I should have been more clear. I just got excited. <laughs> You're like, America? Where's he going? 
He was born in a log cabin, a one-room log cabin on 348-acre frontier farm. Think about that for a second. A one-bedroom log cabin. How many of you live in a one-bedroom house with, uh, I guess, he has mom and dad and a sister? Four people living in a one-little-bedroom house, kitchen, sleeping area, dining area, TV, Nintendo area, all in the same room. You know, that's really cramped. Tight quarters. Uh, he was named after his grandpa, and his grandpa, uh, Mr. Abraham Lincoln, uh, the, the, the grandpa, was killed in an Indian raid. I mean, Abraham Lincoln's the real deal. He's, he was living on the frontier. At one point, listen to this, at one point his family lost all their belongings because of de- debt, and they lived in a dugout on the side of a hill in Indiana without even a log cabin to shelter them. Could you imagine going up to this family, a mom and dad? I mean, basically, they're homeless, right? I mean, without a home. They're living in a dugout, kind of, I don't know if they had a canopy or what that looked like or exactly how long they were living um, in the side of a hill without a home. But imagine going up to this family, seeing this little boy and saying, hey, someday you're going to be the president of the United States. And then you look at him and you'd probably get tears in your eyes and think, that could never, ever happen. But it did. It's pretty sweet. His parents belonged to a Baptist church. Uh, the, the Baptist church that his parents were going to split because uh, of the issue of slavery. And his parents, and little Abraham and his sister, followed the church that refused to support slavery. So even at an early age, Abraham Lincoln is uh, known to be with his parents and a part of this group of people that refused to support slavery. And ever since he was a young child, there's, there's letters and documents that say that he somehow had a sense that he was called to greatness as a little kid. I mean, imagine being homeless, your family's homeless, can't do anything about it, and you're working really hard, but you're still homeless and, and trying to live on this farm, and, uh, and you're called to greatness. Pretty cool, don't you think? I mean, we look back in retrospect and say, duh, he's Abraham Lincoln, of course he's great. But at the time, think about it for a second. He was called to greatness as a kid that didn't have hardly anything. His formal education consisted about 18 months of schooling from unofficial teachers. He was, in effect, self-educated, studying every book that he could borrow. He mastered the Bible. He mastered William Shakespeare. He mastered a book of the English history and then a book of the American history. And more than anything else, when he grew up, what did he want to do, you know? for the better, to change his area, to change laws and help people for the good of others. Are you ready to write down a quote? Come on. This quote just happens to be, okay, remember last month? I remember some of you, you're like, man, I barely remember last night. Um, (laughs) But last month was because you had to wake up so early. I wasn't, you know, come on. Last month, there was a guy that came and talked to us because it was Wisdom of the Ages, and uh, a guy came to talk to us called named Charles Blair. Do you remember him? Nobody. He was the oh, he was the really old one that uh, that uh, he told the joke about his wife. He said we've been married fifty years, and he said uh, on our twenty fourth anniversary we went to Hawaii. On our fiftieth anniversary, we went back and picked her up. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> And you should have saw, if, maybe you don't realize that, it was, that that joke was that funny, but if you were looking at his wife, 
And she was just like, and then just like, like so serious. Like that's not, that's not like she wanted to correct the story. Um, but he said this, uh, and he is a great man, someone that in, in his 80s right now is planting. How many churches, Evan, in Ethiopia? Over a thousand churches in Ethiopia, a part of the world that doesn't know too much about Jesus, where the Muslim world is, is slowly, is quickly advancing and the Christian world is declining. This dude in his 80s has led to the church plan of over a thousand churches in Ethiopia. And here's the quote that he gave us, uh, and it says this, the greatness of a person is found in the cause they live for and the price they are willing to pay to achieve it. Do you remember that? It's so sweet. I like it a lot. The greatness of a person is found in the cause they live for and the price they are willing to pay to achieve it. And you see, we live... Do you want me to repeat it one more time? You got it. One more time. Okay. The greatness of a person is found in the cause they live for and the price they are willing to pay to achieve it. The cause. If you, if you wrote that down, underline the word cause because that's what it's all about. If you want to be great, if you want to be famous, if you want to be cool, if you want to be exciting, you need a cause in your life. See, we live in 2007, right? We live in 2007 where uh, fame, stick with me for a second, fame is often confused with greatness. Do you see where I'm going with this? Fame and greatness. Because uh, let's just say someone that's famous. If you name someone famous, you're going to be like, oh, Tom Cruise, he's so famous. Uh, who else is famous? Uh, the, you know, the actors are famous, right? Adam Sandler, he's famous. Uh, I know you're yelling out names, but um, they're all famous people. And some of them, uh, just imagine this. Let me put it this way. Back in the good old days, um, in the Abraham Lincoln days, how did you get famous? Did you, did you get on TV and internationally and nationally known because you could play the guitar really well? Probably not. You were famous because you were great. Abraham Lincoln, he was great. He was a great man. Uh, if, if he came to your town, he'd probably come with a parade and he'd be at the back of the parade and everybody would be screaming and holding up their baby so that Abraham could kiss the baby. And uh, he was a great man. And if you just ha- so happened back in the 1800s to be going to Starbucks and you're getting your latte and you see Abraham Lincoln getting his uh, soy coffee uh, toffee latte, you would probably go up to the man and just, what do you do when you see someone famous? You're like, oh my gosh, that's somebody famous. And then if you're bold enough, and, and if, if, they, if you think they could handle it, and if you could handle it, you might go up to that person and say, hi, I'm, I'm Joe, um, I'm, I'm a pastor at New Life Church, and I, I'm really cool, and you, I'm, I just got married, and, and so on and so forth. I just kind of tell them my story. You know, that's what you do. When you, has anyone seen somebody famous? Raise your hand. You know what I'm talking about. Um, and so you, you begin to tell them your story, and then you listen to what they might tell you, right? Because they're great. Because they're famous. Because maybe they could tell you something that would help you become great and famous and, and glorious, right? But that was back in the olden days of Abraham Lincoln. But there, there's something in our minds that is that when we see a famous person, we automatically think that they're great. And they, in a sense, they are great because of their fame and their famous Maybe not so much, like let's say a, a dude or a dudette can play guitar really well and they become famous in this little emo rock star band and everybody knows this rock star band and the, and the guitar player of this band. And then he is then great. He's famous for playing guitar, right? And so sometimes we can confuse 
the dude, and so we see this dude, and we're like, oh man, we see him at Starbucks, and we tell him our story, and we listen, and, and whatever, you know, he tells us we're listening to, because he's great, because he's famous. But his fame is built upon his guitar playing. Well, guitar playing's cool, right? But he's not, he's not great like an Abraham Lincoln. I mean, if Abraham Lincoln told me to do something, and said, hey, you probably need to reevaluate this area of your life, do you think I would do it? Yeah. I mean, the dude's dead. <laughs> <laughs> If a, if a dead guy talked to me, that's just kidding. You know what I'm saying, right? So if a truly great person, you see what I'm saying? Ravi Zacharias says it this way. Does anyone know who Ravi Zacharias is? He's a really cool guy. He's a Christian apologet, apologeticist. <laughs> You're like, no, that's not the right pronunciation. You know what I'm talking about, though. He talks to churches, and he, and he talks to universities where there may be non-Christians there. And he says, here's why we need to believe in absolute truth. And, and then, and then here's why we need to believe in the Bible. Here's why we need to believe in a God. Here's why Jesus is so important. He's an apologetist. He gives reason. He defends our faith, um, amidst people that are in the secular environments. And he says this. He says that our culture has been vanitized. V-A-N-N-A-T-I-Z-E-D. Not vanity or, or violated, but vanitized. Named after Vanna Marie Roche, the 50-year-old woman um, you know her as Vanna White. And he says that our culture has been vanitized because in the, in the early, in the late 80s, she wrote a book in 1987 called Vanna Speaks, her autobiography, which became a bestseller because she's famous, right? And everyone wants to know her story. The problem is, is that she really doesn't have much of a story. I mean, if you think about it, um, not to make fun of this, this nice lady, but really what she does, the reason why she's famous is that a light comes on, and in the in the 80s, you realize, if you're old like me, that she would come up to the sign and actually turn it. Do you, does you remember that? Nowadays, she just touches it and, it, and it shows the thing, and then she stands back, and that's it, right? That's it. That's what she does, and she's famous, and, and we hold her in, in 2007 as, as someone that's great. Her book was a, a best-selling book, and... uh and, but there's no real substance to her life. She's been married and divorced, married and divorced. Uh, she got her big break on The Price is Right. She was a contestant on The Price is Right. And, and anybody, you realize that anybody can get on the show Price is Right because I've been on the show The Price is Right, not as a contestant, but just in the, in the, uh, in the room. And I, I saw the whole thing go down. It's pretty sweet. But because of her good looks, they chose her. She was a contestant. That was her big break. Um, and, and so that her greatness is built upon her looks. Uh, for, she, she was in Playboy, she, uh, magazine, she, uh, there's just real no substance. Do you see it? Am I being a little too funny? But there's real no, really no substance to what she does that makes her great. She's great just because she's famous because of the show Wheel of Fortune. But there are people in this world that are really great. And Abraham Lincoln is a guy that's really great. And I want to argue that it is because he had a cause in his life. He was living for something, a cause that was bigger than himself. And so let me read for you um, a, a, a biography of his childhood. Are you ready? And I think, um, never mind, I was going to say, yeah, I guess I have to say it now. I think, it, I, I think a kid wrote this. Maybe not. The sentences are just so short. You'll like it, though. Abraham Lincoln had less than two years of schooling. Books were scarce, and so was paper. He worked his arithmetic problems on a board, a blackboard, and cleaned the board with a knife so that he could use it again and again. His family owned a Bible, and he spent many hours reading it. 
And you know the story, right, of him like staying up by the by the fire and, and leaning back and, and reading as his family was asleep. You know that story, right? Of course you do. You were all in fourth grade. Uh, he would copy parts of the Bible in order to memorize it. Doesn't anybody else do that? I did that for a little while. I thought it was pretty cool uh, to memorize it. Sometimes he would walk for miles to borrow a book. One of his favorite books was The Life of George Washington. By the time he was 17, he knew that he wanted to be a lawyer. He would walk 17 miles to the county courthouse in order to watch the lawyers work. He sat in the back of the courtroom and watched them as they shook their fists, became red in the face, then he would go th- go home and think about what he had seen. Every uh, every time he got a new job, he would try to work on a skill that would help him to become a lawyer. When he was a shopkeeper, he tried to be fair and honest. Once, he accidentally shortchanged a woman by a mere six cents. He followed her all the way home so that he can give back the six cents. Pretty cool. Nice guy, huh? When he was a postmaster, he tried to learn how to get along with all the people that he met. He would go without sleep in order to study, and in 19, uh, excuse me, 1836, he passed the test to become a lawyer. Abraham Lincoln. Isn't that cool? I mean, think about the dude that was homeless for a time with his family living in, in, a, in a dirt side of a hill in a dugout, born in a log cabin. Let me tell you this. Uh, this is a list of his failures. It'll take a second to read. Age 22, he failed in business. Age 23, he ran for legislator and was defeated. Age 24, failed again at the legislator, uh, legislature. Age 26, his sweetheart died. Age 27, had nervous breakdowns. Age 29, defeated for speaker. Age 31, defeated for elector. Age 34, defeated for Congress. Age 37, elected for Congress. Yeah. Age 39, defeated again for Congress. Age 46, defeated for Senate. Age 47, defeated for vice president. Age 49, defeated for Senate. And finally, at age 51, elected to be the United States President of America. (laughs) President of the United States of America. He just ruined it. That's so good. Um, After he becomes president, five weeks later, the Civil War begins. The story of the Civil War is uh, uh, on a... um, a fort, uh, Sumner, Fort Sumner, uh, in Charleston, South Carolina. You know a little bit about the Civil War, right? North against the, the Confederates versus the Union. Oh, you guys are so good. Oh, what a, what a, you guys must have seen all the movies, huh? Um, the, the war begins. Fort, Fort Sumner is a Union, a northern fort in, uh, South Carolina, which is, Confederate or Southern territory, Southern soil. And so as, as Abraham Lincoln gets elected, boats, Southern boats surround the fort, the forts on the sea, surround the fort and just sit there and we're waiting for, uh, the war to start. And Abraham Lincoln has to make a, a choice. Is he going to resupply the fort? The fort was in desperate need of, uh, supplies to take care of business, to TCB. Uh, gunpowder, food, you know, you name it. They needed supplies, right? Without the supplies, the ships would easily take the fort. So Abraham Lincoln had to, had to decide, is he going to resupply the fort and possibly begin the Civil War, or is he going to uh, not supply the fort, possibly prolonging the Civil War, but then um, if the boats attack, the, the, the fort won't stand a chance. And so it's at this point in his life 
that he stays up many nights. Uh, he's very stressed out, gets sick. He faints because he's so stressed out. I mean, that's, that's a lot of stress, don't you think, to faint because of stress? The balance of the Civil War is in his hands. And this is really what where the rubber meets the mo- road as far as uh, politics. Because politics, you see, is the practical side of, uh, of, of a moral code. I mean, we all have a moral code. We have this idea of what's right and wrong. We have, for us, us as Christians, we have a biblical code. And uh, politics is then the practice, the practical of carrying out that biblical code, that moral code. And we all have to do it in our own lives. And that's what politicians have to do. They have to take ideas, theoretical, moral laws, and apply them to how laws are going to be run, how society is going to be uh, ran. <laughs> I was thinking of a really important word, but I guess I don't have one. Uh, man, I still need that word. Um, dang it. Never mind. Don't mind me up here. I'm just struggling. <laughs> what did you say? It'll come, and then I'll just yell it out like five minutes from now. Okay. Um, oh, that's what I was going to say. This the idea that next month uh, we we are going to talk about ethics. We realize that every month in Sunday school is a new topic. Next month is ethics. And so we're going to look at certain ethical situations and what we should do as Christians because of our ethical, moral code, our biblical code, and how that applies practically in the world today. And so um, that's what Abraham Lincoln had to do. I mean, you realize that there could be two people, there could be hundreds of people that are all Christians, all say uh, Jesus is Lord. They all say uh, the Bible's true. They all say, you know, the, the basics of Scripture, that, that we believe in, you know, God and, and that Jesus came to save us. But then when it comes to practicalities, there can be several different directions that each person is willing to take because of the practical side of how that moral code is carried out. You realize that, right? And so next month, we're going to really get into that. But Abraham Lincoln had a big uh, decision to make, and he finally decides to resupply the fort, but the resupply is a total failure. The supplies never reach the ship. And on April 12th at 4.30 a.m., 1861, Major Robert Anderson of the Union inside, uh, inside the fort um, just happened to be a teacher at West Point. West Point's the uh, Army Academy uh, on the East Coast. Anybody in the army? Shout out. Yeah. Um, uh, and then outside in the boats, the general in charge of the boats, the Confederates, happens to be Pierre Bonregard of the Confederates. And he was a gunner, a student at West Point. And it just so happened that uh, the, the guys that are battling each other, teacher and student, happen to really like each other. And, they re- and, and one uh, stayed on and kept studying under the teacher and became his teaching assistant. And so that's the kind of thing that happened in the Civil War. Brothers fighting brothers, people that knew each other, fighting each other, and uh, the Confederate soldiers fire upon uh, the Union Fort, Fort Sumner, which officially begins the Civil War. And so I want to show you a video clip. Do you like video clips? Of course you do. This is uh, a clip, and it's only three minutes long. Let me intro it first. The video clip is of a movie called Gods and Generals. Raise your hand if you've seen that or Gettysburg or uh, there's another one in the trilogy. It's called uh, Last Full Measure. Has that even come out yet? It's this big trilogy of the Civil War. And this is, what I'm going to show you, is the opening scene of this huge trilogy, like t- a 10-hour Civil War trilogy. It's of Robert E. Lee. And if you know Robert E. Lee, he was from Virginia. And he fought for which side? North or South? Yeah, he fought for the South. And we always say, I mean, it's 2007, right? 
the United States didn't fall apart during the Civil War, uh, we look back and say, what was the South thinking, right? Have you ever thought that to yourself? Like, what were they thinking? You know, we're, and I think that sometimes. And, um, and, and so this, this clip is going to show you what the South was thinking. And there, and he's going to refer to some of the judgment calls of, of, uh, Abraham, President Abraham Lincoln. And it's going to show you kind of the, the hardness of the decision that Abraham Lincoln had to make. But he was a man of cause. And after he became a lawyer, did he just give up on life and say, oh, I became a lawyer. I got what I wanted. No, he didn't. He got new causes. And his cause for the Civil War was twofold. One, to end slavery. Two, to keep it a union, keep it all together, keep the United States together. Okay, let's watch this sweet clip. Robert E. Lee, to over to take them over. And if you're from Virginia, can you see... Can you at least side with Robert E. Lee for a second there and say, man, I, I guess I could see that. I never saw it that way until I saw that, that, that the video, the whole video is about the Southern Army and the whole movie, the three-hour-long movie. It's really just an interesting perspective of, of why they fought the North. And it wasn't just all about ending slavery and the South wanting slavery. It was about just, man, my home's getting invaded. I need to fight to keep people out of it. And so... Um, but Abraham Lincoln made that call because he had the cause of ending slavery and keeping the United States as a house. Because a house, remember his house divided speech in fourth grade? How a house divided can't stand. Do you remember that? Did you have to memorize that like I did? It's pretty sweet if you did. God can bring you a cause in your life. And so, um, would you like to hear a story? I know you do. I know you like stories. When I was in college, I thought, um, I didn't really uh, like the idea of dating. <laughs> and people knew me as the guy that didn't date. And because I didn't really, I wasn't, um, I just didn't want to get into the trap of, you know, dating girls and, and getting my heart broken and so on and so forth. And I was all throughout college. I mean, four years, I was known as the guy that didn't date anybody. And all the girls wanted me, of course. But I... <laughs> And that's what happened. Guys, just by the way, if you want to date, just tell people that you're not dating. Say, I'm not dating right now. And then they'll just, just a side comment there. Um, <clears throat> girls, I think it works the same way. <clears throat> and so I was that dude that uh, didn't, like, didn't, didn't like the idea of dating and didn't like the idea of uh, getting my heart broken until um, I, I met someone named Erica. She's right, she's right there. We're married, by the way, now. Um, but I think in a lot of ways, God really brought that cause into my life. And so now that we're married, one of my causes in life is to have a great marriage, to, to continue on a marriage, to not even think about divorce, but to keep um, growing our relationship together, closer to God, closer to each other. And so we do things now that, that we try to, uh, to try to do to keep that. We read the Bible every day. We pray every day. Um, and so we, we, we try to talk about our emotions every day. <laughs> That's, that's pretty fun. <clears throat> and we did, and we've only been married, uh, six weeks yesterday. And every single day we've, so far we've done all, all three of those things. And so it's turned out so far so good, you know? And so, but at the time, I remember finding her, or maybe she found me, um, and, and just having this new cause in my life to, to, to see what she's all about, to, 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 to date her and to, just to see where it would go from there. And so I did crazy things, right? Anybody that's dating anybody does crazy things and, and has this cause deep inside of them that they'll do anything. And so I, for instance, 
um, asked the father's permission to date her. Isn't that kind of cool? Everybody say, ah. I know, and it's not even the 1800s. And, <clears throat> and I did that. And by the way, I, did, I didn't, I was too scared to call. He, he, the, the father lives in Minnesota. That's where Erica's from. I was too scared to call him, so I emailed him. <laughs> but still to this day, if I ask, if I ask, well, when, you know, when did you start liking me at the, talking to the father? When did I win your heart or whatever? He'll, he'll, I don't even have to ask that. He'll tell me. When you asked my permission to date my daughter, that was when you won my heart. And, and it was, it was, I mean, I'm glad that I did it now. At the time, I was like, you know, writing this email, then I was like, I don't know, it's so weird. And I just sent it, and then I just walked away, and I got a response like a day later, and he said, oh, yeah, sure, no big deal. But it was a big deal to him. And so you, when you get this cause in your life, you'll do, you'll do anything. Abraham Lincoln had the cause of being a lawyer. He walked 17 miles to sit in a courtroom and watch some dudes talk. He read books, as many books as he can get a hold of. Um, you can find a cause for your life. It could be a, um, a, a salary paid position, but it doesn't have to be that. It could be anything that's bigger than yourself, a cause. And everything, every single one of you, every single one of us, me included, have to find this cause in order to be great. That's really what greatness is all about. I have this friend, his name is Big Bill. <laughs> He's just sitting right here. Say hi, Big Bill. Bill, what do you want to be when you grow up? He wants to be a fireman when he grows up. That's Bill's cause. Listen to this right here. Bill wants to be a fireman. He believes God is calling him to be a fireman. I believe, when me and Bill used to be roommates, I believe God is calling Bill to be a fireman. That's his cause right now. He's going to school. He's training. He works out. How many days a week do you work out? Four or five days a week. And we're not, when, we, when me and Bill work out, because me and Bill work out as well, uh, when we work out, it's not like just go to the gym and run for 45 minutes. No, we're lifting heavy weight for two and a half hours. That's a big deal, just in case you're wondering. Bill wakes up in the morning. Some of you wake up in the morning and you're just like, uh, snooze. I've heard that Bill, um, Bill has some fireman clothing. When his alarm goes off in the morning, beep, beep, pops out of bed, puts on his fireman clothing, to get ready for the day and just to get set. Am I right, Bill? He didn't know. He didn't know. <laughs> he wants to be a fireman. That's his cause. And his cause is deeper than just wanting a boyhood wanting to be a fireman. He wants to save people's life. He's told me that he wants to be the first guy into a building to see if there's any living humans in there to, to save them, to carry them out, to be the guy, what's it called, the first guy in? The trucky that goes in with the axe and, and, and finds people, finds kids that may have gotten scared and are hiding in closets or something. And he wants to be that guy. That's his cause right now. Isn't that sweet? For Bill. I think that's so cool. And so um, there is a, there's a temptation, I think, in our life to, to not find a cause, to not think about it. And maybe maybe some of you have this cause in your heart and you're like, Man, it'd be sweet if someday I could do this. But it's never going to happen. Maybe it will. Did Abraham Lincoln, sitting in the dirt, homeless with his dad and mom, think he was going to be president one day? I don't think so. But he wanted to be a lawyer. That was probably way out of his league at the time. But he became a lawyer because he was persistent, like the persistent widow. Keep asking God. Keep praying for that. I think a cause is something that we can pray for. It's a good thing to pray for. God, would you give me a cause in my life that's greater than I am so that I can glorify you? with what I am living for. 
And I think there's a, in your notes it says a temptation to be a renaissance man. Do you see that in there? I want to quickly cover this idea because in, in our day, um, and I, I think that I'm not, I'm not talking to the crowd that's lazy. Are you guys lazy? No way. I mean, look at you all in here. You had to wake up an hour earlier than usual just to come here to Sunday school. Give yourselves a hand. One more hand just for yourselves. I don't think you guys aren't the lazy crowd. Uh, there's a lot of lazy people that go to the mill. <laughs> but you guys aren't lazy. Uh, you know what I mean. I don't mean it in a really bad way. I just mean people that people that are okay with just day in, day out. Oh, I, I don't have a big cause for my life. I'm not really pushing on to anything. Whatever happens kind of happens to me. Uh, I'm just avoiding pain in my life. I'm just uh, trying to get some money so that I could do this and that. And my cause is to get a car that's nice. I, you know, there's people like that. Maybe some of you... And it's not, it's not bad to want a car for a little while or want something nice or to get money in order to afford things. Um, but to have a cause that's bigger than yourselves. And I think a lot of you in here are probably thinking to yourself, man, I could have the cause of just being the guy that knows everything about everything. The Renaissance man. Maybe I'm talking to the wrong crowd. Because that's, that's kind of me. I, I really like the fact that I know a lot of uh, things about a lot of different things. Um, and it's this idea that you could be a renaissance man and not choose any one thing. That you could be good in all these different areas areas, and uh, um, you could be good in all these different things and, and not limit your life to one single great cause that's better than yourselves. Because I think true greatness and true um, to really be known for something, you have to have a cause, right? And if you're known for all these things, oh, wow, he could do this and he could do that, he could do this and that, it isn't our culture anymore. People really aren't that impressed with Renaissance men because or women, Renaissance men or women. Um, because I think in the Renaissance, you realize that uh, the literacy rate, this is like 1600s, the literacy rate was about 20%. That means about 20% of the people in Europe, for instance, is, and this isn't Bible truth, but I just think in our world, we, we need people that, know a ton and are experts on one particular thing and their cause is about one particular thing. Let me read for you uh, a section of this book called Good to Great. It's a sweet book, by the way. It's, it's by Jim Collins, Good to Great, Why Some Companies Make the Leap and Others Do Not. It's a business book. Anybody read this, seen this? You, some of you business majors know that this is probably the number one book that you'll ever read. It's very general. He gives principles about what makes companies not, what makes the step between companies being good to great, just like the title says. And one of his principles is the hedgehog principle. It's this idea of finding something that the company um, can be all about, can be the best in the world at. And he gives lots of different examples about uh, Wells Fargo, Kroger, uh, and he gives an example of Walgreens. And he says that Walgreens, everybody knows Walgreens, right? The drugstore. Um, he says that Walgreens in the 80s, they were all about buying inexpensive um, shop market, shop stores, go in there and just sell anything and everything that they could in order to make profit. And, they, and so they tried everything for a while. They tried, they tried renting videotapes, um, which, I mean, who wants to go to a drugstore to rent a videotape? Just kind of silly, right? They decided that their cause, their hedgehog principle, the thing that they could be the best in the world at is convenient drug store. They want it to be a convenient drug store. And what does selling, renting VHS tapes have anything to do with being a convenient drug store? Not too much, I don't think. And so 
what if you look at any Walgreens today, they're always are they back in a little nook and cranny of a of a of a complex and they're like a side side little store? No, they're almost always on the corner of two busy streets, right? And you can and there's the parking lot is set up in such a way that you can get in from like several different directions into a Walgreens. Am I right? Am I just noticing this because I'm crazy? But they are all about being a convenient drugstore. You walk in, you could be in and out with within seconds with your milk and your uh whatever. <laughs> you know, you need it. You just go in, be in and out in 10 minutes. If you walk into a grocery store, can you get milk and bread and be out in five minutes? No possible way. I, I beg that you could not get in and out in 10 minutes. I challenge you to get in and out of a grocery store in 10 minutes with bread and milk. You can't do it, but you can at Walgreens because they're convenient. And so that's what they're all about. And he gives this paragraph. Uh, I'm not going to go into it too much, but I'm going to read it, and I want you to pay attention to the three different areas. And he, get, he, get, he I'm just going to read this short paragraph. To quickly grasp the three circles, consider following a personal analogy. Okay. Suppose you were to construct a work life that meets the following three tests. So when you go to work, it meets these three tests. First, number one, you're doing the work which you have a genetic or God-given talent, uh, or perhaps you could become the best in the world at by applying this talent. You're best in the world at it because of research, because you like it, because... You're, you're physically talented, whatever. And, and so I, I feel like I was just born to do this. Second point. <coughs> Excuse me. Second point. You're well paid for what you do. I.e., I get paid for doing this? Am I dreaming? Third. The third, uh, the third c- convening circle. Third. You are doing work that you are passionate about and absolutely love to do. Enjoying the actual process for its own sake. I.e., I look forward to getting up and throwing myself into my daily work. I, and I really believe that what I am doing is, is what I'm all about. If you drive towards the intersection of these three circles and translate that intersection into a simple, crystalline concept that guides your life choices, then you have a hedgehog concept for yourself. And so he applies the idea of, of, uh, of a salary of what you get paid to do. And some of you um, might never have the luxury of, of your cause being your uh, what you get paid to do. I have that luxury. You realize that I get paid for what I do. I mean, I'm just talking to you. I'm getting paid right now. Isn't that amazing? It's uh, When I'm making the Friday night shows, I'm getting paid to do that. Can you believe that? I mean, I feel like I, I, feel like I have the hedgehog principle that what I'm doing in life uh, that I'm getting paid for, God has just miraculously given. I, I didn't deserve it, obviously. But God has miraculously given me this cause, one of them being Sunday school, this idea that you can come to New Life Church, go to main service, worship God uh, with your heart, listen to a sermon, and just let that speak to your heart. But then, as the Mill Sunday School, come here and let God speak to your mind and, stu- and study God on a level, because we don't do worship in here. We're an hour of just of talking and looking at things in an in-depth level that, that we can worship God with our mind, too. That's what I'm all about. I found that I, I think I found my hedgehog principle. It's so sweet, don't you think? I think it's awesome. And, and so, uh, another point is that someone said it only takes about five years in, all, in our, our culture with the internet, 2007, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it takes about five years to become an expert in something. Think about that for a second. Five years to become an expert in something. So if you believe, uh, by, by example, that maybe God's calling you to 
be a worship leader. I would argue that in five years, you could learn how to play the guitar, learn how to sing, and become a worship leader. Maybe just for a small group, maybe just um, for uh, you know a, a small group. Maybe you won't be the best worship leader in five years. I would beg to say that you, you probably couldn't become the best worship leader in five years. But I would guess to say that almost every single one of you, whether you're musically talented or not, then in five years could be a worship leader if that was your cause, if that's what you were all about, memorizing songs, getting the new CDs, uh, playing guitar till your fingers are purple. I mean, if that's what you're all about, in five years you could do that. If you're all about, uh, if God, you believe God has given you the cause to be a missionary, I think, my, I would argue, that in five years you could know everything, you could be an expert in that country. Let's just say uh, God's calling you to be a missionary, for example, and you're like, oh man, I think Zimbabwe is pretty cool. I think in five years you could be the person that people will say, oh, Zimbabwe, go talk to so-and-so. They know everything there is to know about Zimbabwe. They've been studying it for the last five years. They're about to go over there and give their life to the people of Zimbabwe. Pretty cool. Have you ever thought about that for a second? I mean, in five years, you could be an expert in almost any uh, topic. Obviously, there's some that you couldn't. You couldn't be a doctor in five years and perform medicine on someone. Probably couldn't fly a plane in five years, but I think those are the only two examples. I think anything else you can do in five years. <laughs> Just to encourage you, I, I say that to encourage you, that if you feel like maybe deep down you're like, oh, I'm doing this and that, but I really feel like, man, I would love to be doing this. Five years, my friends, then you could be doing that in our culture. Abraham Lincoln's years, it took him a lot more time than that. He didn't have the Internet. He didn't have public libraries. Does, do any of you visit the public library as much as I do? At least three times a week? It's so cool. They just let you borrow books for free. It's amazing. Um, to go back to Abraham Lincoln, to close with Abraham Lincoln, his, he had this hedgehog concept that he wanted to be a lawyer. And once becoming a lawyer, he decided, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to just stick with being a lawyer, but I'm going to become the best lawyer. I'm going to move on to politics. And he kept on moving on and on, never giving up, never stopping. I mean, coming from the log cabin, homeless for a little while, to becoming the president of the United States. What a cool story. What a great story. And so I want to read for you um, a parable of the talents. It's, it's the parable of talent is, a, is a, uh, a unit of money. And you could turn to Matthew 25. It's the parable that Jesus told of the talents about people, three different dudes that were given three different amounts of money. Um, and then the, the master goes away then comes back and collects the talents. And I think Abraham Lincoln is the kind of dude that only got one talent got a very small amount of money, and then came back, and when his master came back, he had a huge sum of money to give back to God. And so I think in our lives, this, this parable is pretty sweet. Matthew 25, 14, uh, I'm going to read through 30. It's the parable of the talents. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who calls his servants and entrusts his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money. To another, two talents to another one talent, each according to his ability. Now let me talk a little bit about a talent. A talent is a unit of measurement, about one foot cubed. So that's a big chunk of, I mean, one foot cube of money. And money in that time was either gold or silver. And so if it was gold, <clears throat> if it was gold, a one foot block of gold is about uh, $660,000 a lot of money, don't you think? 
And if you were given five of those, that's more than $3 million. So it's possible that Jesus was made. I mean, it's a story, right? He could do it. He could say anything he wants. It's possible that Jesus is talking about an obscene amount of money, $3 million giving one of the dudes.